0: On behalf of Hospice of the Piedmont, welcome to this episode of the E-Series, an educational podcast aimed at engaging our community, exploring relevant topics, and educating about ways to connect with our organization. Funding for the E-Series is provided by the Dr. John A. Lusk Fund for Hospice and Palliative Care Education. My name is Ryan Biagini, and I am your host. In today's episode, Surrogate Decision Making, Trent Cockrum, CEO of Hospice of the Piedmont, is joined by Kelly Olmeda. Director of Quality Compliance and Education for Hospice of Piedmont and longtime hospice social worker. Kelly brings with her a wealth of knowledge from both her professional and personal experience. You can read more about her in the show notes for this episode. Together, Trent and Kelly will discuss the evolution of caregivers becoming surrogate decision makers as their loved ones' needs increase and the value of this supportive role. Let's listen in. Kelly,
1: it's so great for you to join me today. I'm so excited to be able to sit down and have a really interesting conversation with you today. Um, So, you have in your past experience, uh, Mm -hmm. you've been a social worker, and now, of course, you work in quality and compliance. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I want to go back to your time as a social worker and really sort of talk about some of that experience and more specifically, I want to have a conversation about this concept that we oftentimes hear about called surrogate decision-making. Um, yes, and, you know, in its broadest sense, it really is just a a fancy way to say other people are making decisions for you, right. but there's a lot of complexity related to that.
2: There is, there is. It is really just a, a, a complicated way to use some big words to describe something that we are naturally doing for the people that we love. Uh, It's becoming a surrogate decision maker really just starts as being a supportive person to someone in your life who's having a physical or emotional or medical problem. And uh, maybe they're starting to lose some of the capacity to make some, some big decisions, or they just need support in making those big decisions Uh, It may be related to some cognitive changes that they're having. They may just be becoming a little more forgetful or their illness just may be getting in the way of them being able to process all of the information that comes along with having a chronic illness. And so they ask for help, not necessarily for people to make decisions for them, but just to bounce ideas off of. And that's usually the way that it starts. Um, and so people don't usually identify as being a surrogate decision-maker so much as being a helpful or supportive family member.
1: You know, it's interesting what you cite is um, what you allude to is for surrogate decision-making is a similar evolution that that happens with people as they begin to identify as a caregiver, which is something we've, you know, explored already with Dr. Elise Seifert in a previous episode. But Um, You know, many of our listeners, myself included, watch television, and we oftentimes get really entranced sort of by these medical dramas. Um, And we have an impression, really, that surrogate decision-making happens only in times of crisis. But that really isn't the case, right?
2: No, no. Uh, You could have, uh, certainly have a family member who has a sudden accident or or something like a heart attack, or a stroke, and you have to make decisions right there in the moment. And that's dramatic. That's why you see that on TV is that that is a traumatic event. Um, And it it ultimately is a display of what it being a decision, uh, surrogate decision maker means. But for the most part, surrogate decision makers get there gradually. They're taking care of people for a long time without even realizing that they're doing it. Um, They may start out by just uh, maybe helping a family member, say a parent, talk through what their doctor visit was like that day or look at some of the lab work that the doctor sent them or a new prescription and they just maybe can't remember everything the doctor said or they uh, got too much information and they're trying to figure out the details of it and so You become their person who they call to say, hey, this is what the doctor said. What do you think? Um, And sometimes, you know, in the medical field, uh, we use some words and jargon and big, big words that maybe we forget that our patients and families may not be familiar with. So there's some of that, doing research for the people that you love to make sense of what the doctors told them. Um, But generally, the, the loved ones are able to make the decisions on their own. You're not really making decisions for them, but you're laying the groundwork without knowing it that you're gonna be a a surrogate decision maker down the road.
1: So, in a so, sense, it's like a supporting role, right yeah. in the beginning. Um,
2: Absolutely. So, yeah. Yes, and so it's so if you think about a family with with multiple children, maybe there's there's that one adult child, or or even a niece or a nephew, or a brother or sister. Who is the, your person? That's just who you go to for advice or who you would go to. And it typically, if, if your loved one works in the medical field, of course, you're going to go to that person and ask what all this medical jargon means. Um, and then it could progress to, and instead of now I'm helping my mom figuring out what her medications are prescribed to now I'm going on the doctor visits with her. And I'm taking notes and, and then and then the next time I'm asking questions on her behalf and become an active participant in the, the medical care. Mm-hmm. But your loved one is still able to make their own decisions, able to care for themselves. And so we still don't think of ourselves as a surrogate decision maker. We're just, again, a supportive family member who's helping someone that, they, that we love. When in reality,
1: we're helping them sort of frame a discussion, yes. frame yes. their options. Yes. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. And so we're not taking the place of the decision that they're making, but we're helping to guide them to what decision is really best for their lives because we know them. We know what they need, who they are, um, and what they want. And so it's they need that support. They just need the reassurance sometimes. And other times they just really need to understand. And so they need someone else there to help make sense of it. Eventually, though, uh, it may lead to something a little more like now I'm filling the medication planner and making sure that my parent is taking it properly. And I start to question, uh, are they able to do certain things on their own? Am I starting to help with picking up groceries, or with managing the checkbook, or paying the bills, and it becomes bigger and bigger. And we start to take on more and more responsibilities and still don't consider ourselves surrogate decision makers. Uh, We are still just helping, and um, we become the keepers of the information, and so uh, it's not that we're making all the decisions, but we certainly are the ones who have most of the answers when our loved ones are trying to make decisions, we've got the information to help them get there. And then it it can evolve eventually to them needing some physical care or, or trying to figure out if a person is safe to live alone or to drive their vehicle. Mm-hmm. Um, and so By the time we get to that place, we're still not really thinking of ourselves as surrogates.
1: Right. Because most of the time, um, you know, I think when we think of a surrogate decision maker, we really are thinking about the people who make the life decisions for another individual. And when we oftentimes think of surrogate decision maker, we use that, um, instead of saying surrogate decision maker, we may say, well, I am her healthcare power of attorney, which is a, which is a legal appointment, right? Exactly. Um, it is a, it's a, a legal document, which makes a formal appointment of an individual and gives them the ability, right, to make decisions for someone else. So in, in some ways that's the, the, um, the pinnacle of, of, you know, evolution for right. a surrogate decision maker, right?
2: That, is, that makes it official. That's what it does. It makes it official that you are the person making decisions on behalf of another person. The interesting thing about advanced directives, and they're pretty complicated, I'm not going to get into all of that, but in order for a healthcare agent or a healthcare power of attorney to take effect, the person, uh, the patient will say, has to be uh, incapacitated to the point where they're no longer able to make decisions on their own or are no longer able to voice their decisions. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, if I were to go to the doctor with my mother or my father, they are both still alert and oriented and and functioning independently. Just because my mother might have made me her power of attorney doesn't mean that I am her power of attorney quite yet. I don't become that until she has lost the the capacity or the confidence to make decisions on her own. Right. So up until that point, um I am still just a support person. And I don't like to use the word just. I shouldn't have said that, but I'm a I'm a, a special support person. It's important to be that, but it's not a legal uh determination that I am making a decision for my mother.
1: Right. You I'm know I'm like- herself. Mm-hmm. Right, you know I'd like to make a just a quick uh a statement for folks who are listening, and one of the things you mentioned is capacity you know capacity is the ability to make decisions, and oftentimes we hear well, they're incompetent, well, right. capacity and incompetence are two different. different things capacity is a medical determination, incompetence is a legal determination um mm-hmm. and sometimes they work together and sometimes they don't um. Sometimes. Yeah, so I yes. think that's a really important distinction for people to be able to know when we, when we Absolutely. in healthcare are talking about capacity.
2: Right. The concept of capacity and competence. Um, there is a difference between legally being an in, declared an incompetent person and having the and, and losing the capacity to make your own decisions. Right. I also like to think of capacity in maybe less legal terms and think of it this way a my my 12 year old is uh, alert oriented he can pass any kind of of cognitive test
0: but he doesn't
2: have the capacity to make big life decisions right Mm -hmm. um and i wouldn't a child you know an eight-year-old child may have a cognitive ability and be able to pass those kinds of competence tests But they don't have the capacity to live alone or to be alone in the home for more than a little while. And so capacity becomes more about safety. Mm -hmm. And so is it safe for this person to uh, perform certain life skills? Is it safe for this person to live alone or is it safe for this person to make this decision? Do they fully understand all of the consequences and the choices laid before them? And that's where a healthcare, um, a, a surrogate decision maker is helpful is right. that they're again, not taking the place yet, but they are helping that person to fill in the gaps where they may have lost some, some capacity.
1: Yeah. And so when you think about, you know, um, Filling the gap um, and becoming a surrogate decision maker and actually making real life decisions for another person, yeah. there are a lot of complexities related to that because you know not only are you you're making at that point decisions for someone who is not you,
2: right? Exactly. <laughs> so, and
1: so, talk a little bit about that.
2: Absolutely. So it's important to know that when you get to the point where you are actually making, especially health care decisions or financial decisions or life skill decisions, that you're not making those decisions based on what you want or what you believe is the right thing to do. Well, you're you're making, the
1: surrogate, you mean?
2: As a surrogate, right? You're making those decisions based on what that person, your loved one, would want. What are their preferences? What is their lifestyle? What are their values? What's important to them? You're making decisions for them based on what you know about them, not for them based on what you would want for yourself. And so it's important to remember that these conversations should happen early. So if you have an opportunity to talk with your loved one, if especially if you start to see the early signs. I'm the person that, that mom comes to for questions about her medical appointments, or, or my sister is the person who my mom goes to about financial questions. If you see those signs uh, starting and beginning, have those conversations whenever it's appropriate, whenever it's the right moment to bring up, hey mom, Uh, if this were to happen if something were to happen to you how would you want us to manage this situation Mm -hmm. if you suddenly could not tell me what you wanted and then you could fill in the blank with what is it would you would you would want in this situation so I'm watching tv and there's a one of these medical dramas like what you mentioned earlier and there's a car accident and someone is critically injured and you're watching it and you you know it it makes us think and you look over, I look over at my husband and I say, I don't ever want to have, I don't want to be kept alive on life support. Or if that ever happened to me, please do not let this person visit me. (laughs) Like Whatever it may be, this is who I want around me. This is who I don't want. This is what I want my environment to be and have those conversations when it feels right. You know, and there are opportunities throughout our life to find those moments
0: Hi friends, it's your host Ryan Biagini. Join us for future episodes to learn more about the innovative work our organization is doing specific to understanding and supporting caregivers and how you can engage with us to be a part of this exciting community change. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts to be sure not to miss an episode. And now let's get back to the conversation.
2: I remember my grandmother when her brother was sick, he had Alzheimer's. And so she slowly, he slowly lost capacity to make decisions for himself over time. His daughter became a surrogate decision maker and eventually his power of attorney. My grandmother, uh, when he passed away, she was t- talking to us. And that's when sometimes this comes up when you've had a funeral or a loss in your family. It's in the forefront and you're thinking about it. And so she said to myself and my mom and and my uncle, my brother had this thing that said he did not want to have CPR if his heart stopped. He didn't want to be kept alive on life support. And she said, I think when it's my time to go, I, I want one of those pieces of papers. And what she meant was a do not resuscitate order, which is another type of advanced directive. It's an order from a medical doctor, but that's what she was saying she wanted she was not sick at the time she just had that in her mind from the experience that she'd had with her brother and what the end of his life looked like and so that was a wonderful moment though for our family nobody wants to think about that but when she did get sick and we were faced with making that decision everyone already knew what she wanted Mm -hmm. She had told us already and we all were on the same page. And so the surrogate decision maker was relieved of the burden of having to make that giant decision because she had already made it and communicated it. So the most important thing that you can do if you see that you're becoming a, a support decision maker, a helper, is to go ahead and start asking some of those questions. And honestly, even if you're not, like I said, I have this conversations with my husband. Sometimes he would probably like to go ahead and disconnect, me, but but he, he, it's, it happens when it comes up, we talk about it.
1: Well, so, you know, that's building upon a foundation that happens over a span of time. Um, And, you know. Um, we hope that many people who are listening to this are well on their way to doing that. And for folks who aren't, this is a ready resource for them to be able to share. Um, But, you know, one of the things that in my time in healthcare that I've really seen that I think is oftentimes a real pitfall of people who find themselves in a surrogate decision-making role ultimately in the ultimate surrogate decision-making role as a, as, as the decision-maker is, you know, Making promises that they're not then able to keep. Yes. And so one of the things that most that comes most readily to mind is you know um, a, a mother or father or some family member saying, well, don't ever do this. Yes. And and it's it's presuming a future that none of us can predict. Um, right. And because it's complicated, you know, one of the common ones I hear is saying, you know, I always promised my mom we would never put her into a nursing home, but now they're saddled with this, you know, incredible burden of care that they may be unable to sustain and may not have the financial resources to to sustain. And then what happens is they feel as though they have broken this promise because they have to seek other care resources that are in breach of that promise. And and that's probably some of the most significant guilt I've ever seen in healthcare. Mm -hmm. I mean, can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Absolutely, absolutely. So we do tend to make promises that we we don't know what the future holds. We don't know what we're in the the third year of a pandemic. Did we ever imagine what it would be like to not be able to visit our loved ones in the hospital? That was never a thought for us. And so now I think people are thinking even closer of what would we do if we were hospitalized and and couldn't have visitors? Um, Who would make decisions for us and how would that happen? But we, we do make promises to people because we don't know what the future holds and we want to do the best we can to take care of the people that we love and we wanna do it the way they want it. But the best thing that we can do is rely on the people around us and ask for help and know that you're not alone in making those decisions. And so try to refrain from making promises when mom says, please don't ever put me in a nursing home. Um, is to say, I will do my very best. I will do everything I can within my power to take care of you at home. Then you're not breaking a promise. You're gonna do everything that you can. But sometimes, what if I got sick? What if I suddenly had an illness and now I can't care for my loved one and and I have to rely on someone else, a professional to do that instead of me? What if something happened to our home and, and we lost our home or, or something changed and and financially, and I'm not able to support the idea of staying home and taking care of a loved one. We don't know. So the best promise that we can make is I will do my best. I will do everything that I can to make sure you are taken care of, whatever that may look like.
1: And I think that's a great way to put it, because the, the worst thing, I think, for um, You know what happens on the other side of this caregiving uh, experience or or this surrogate decision-making experience. um, The worst thing that happens is being left with a wonderment of, have I done all the things I should have done? Did I do the right things? And and so when you're making these decisions, know that you're making them with the confidence of the person who has instilled this responsibility upon you Um, and so that you've really taken the time as you mentioned earlier to build upon that supportive role that you may have filled um, for uh, a number of months or years leading up to that sort of those series of culminating events
2: right and so then you if you've spent years uh, and it started out with just helping someone answer questions about what happened at their doctor's appointment or or why this medication is supposed to be taken at night instead of in the morning or small decisions like that. And you're helping with that. And then it evolves. Eventually, it could take years before you get to the position where you're providing physical care. Yeah. Um, yeah is there's lots of opportunities to have those conversations and the most confidence you can get the best way to gain confidence and make sure that you are making the right decisions for the person that you love is to have those conversations and understand what it is that they would want what it is that they what decisions they would make for themselves if they were not able to and that you uh that you have reinforced that with
1: your family. Yeah, so speaking of family, um, what's even more important to note is that oftentimes many family members aren't quite all on the same Mm -hmm. page.
2: That's a Um, lot of times.
1: Right, oftentimes. And so, you know, how do you, how does a surrogate decision maker sort of navigate that? Or is that even something they need to think about?
2: It is, absolutely it is. And so um, I mentioned earlier, my grandmother talking about her brother's death and the fact that she um, wanted to have a do not resuscitate order. There was one uncle uh, that was not present during that conversation. And so we had to encourage and say, we need to make sure that he knows as well. Let's include him in this conversation. And, um, and so that when that, the time came, Everybody knew what she wanted. Um, Now, that's not always going to work. And family dynamics can get things that are difficult in families are exacerbated. They're made bigger. They become more dramatic when you're facing a crisis. And so the things that are difficult within your family are going to be that much more difficult down the road when you're facing traumatic events or when you're having to face the loss of a loved one. Um, and anticipating the loss of a loved one and having to make these big decisions. And so it's it's easy to say you got to make sure that the family is all on the same page. It's more practical to say have the conversation with your family members before it becomes urgent. Um, Make sure that the conversations you're having as a surrogate decision maker or a supportive decision maker that you are then relaying that information to your other family members, or that you're helping your loved one to have those conversations with those family members themselves. Because most of the time hearing it directly from that person, what they want is a lot easier and, uh, and easier to process mm-hmm. than hearing it from the, the second party.
1: Sure. So I can imagine, you know, it's, Going much better to say, hey mom, or fill in the blank, right? Yeah. While we're all here together, yeah. can we talk about these things that you and I have been talking about for a while? Exactly. Um, just so we're all we all understand what your wishes are. Right. Um, so I, I think that's I think that's really great advice. Uh, uh,
2: and the more that you can share with your family, whether you have an illness or not. So you, Trent, if you. Tell your loved ones what it is. If I ever had this situation, this is what I want, or this is what I have decided for myself. What you're doing is you're taking that's a gift uh, that you are giving to your loved ones because you're taking that burden off of them and taking away some of the guilt that they might have about having to be the person who verbalizes it to the doctor. This is what we're going to do. It's no longer, I had to make the decision to choose or withdraw or, or reject this treatment. It's my loved one has already made this decision and I'm just communicating it to you. It is no longer my decision to make.
1: Right. Cause if, if I'm the patient and I've had that conversation, it's still my control to exercise. Mm -hmm. I'm just exercising it through a surrogate.
2: Exactly. So the surrogate decision maker may actually not have to make All of the medical decisions, especially if you've already communicated to your surrogate decision maker ahead of time what your decisions are, the decisions are made. And so the surrogate is the communicator, the person who, again, is the keeper of the information.
1: Right. So, um, and, and keeper of the information that you, the patient have, have given to them and hopefully have inspired some thoughtful communication with all the other people around you so that everybody knows, um, yeah. you know, Kelly, we've covered a lot of ground today. Um, and I think we've been, I think you've been really great at, at helping us demystify this complex thing called decision sure. making, um, and, um, and understanding even some of the pitfalls, right, um, yeah. that come along with it. But in this whole conversation that we've had, you know, my question for you is, is there one or two things that you want to make sure that our listeners, you know, as, as we close out our discussion today, that they really take home and know and understand? That's is there a couple of things you want to share?
2: Absolutely. The most important thing that you can do for your loved ones whether you are facing an illness or not, is to talk to the people that you love about what you would want if you were faced with a critical illness, what you would want if you had an accident, what you would want if something changed today and you were not able to communicate for yourself. Have those conversations ahead of time when you're well, when you can think clearly, when you're not overwhelmed so that you can give them uh, the, the decisions that have been made in your own words in your own way ahead of time whether or not you make it legal and identify a power of attorney or not those conversations are going to go so much further to help your surrogate decision maker know that they've done the best thing that they can for you
1: very good kelly thank you it's always wonderful to have thoughtful conversation and exchange of ideas with you i thank you for sharing your incredible expertise and skill set with our listeners and thank you so very much
0: again for joining me today
2: i appreciate the time thank you for having me
0: thank you for listening to this episode of the e-series we're excited to continue our dialogue about healthcare decision making in our next episode finding empowerment and advanced care planning join trent as he talks with kat gibson vice president of family care services for hospice of the piedmont and an advanced certified hospice and palliative care social worker. Together, Trent and Kat will take a deeper dive into the sometimes uncomfortable, yet extremely beneficial conversation of making your healthcare preferences known to those involved in your care. They will touch on the many benefits of taking a proactive approach as well as how to document your healthcare wishes. Be sure to subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts so that you'll receive a notification when this episode publishes. Until next time, I'm Ryan Biagini, and this has been the E-Series.